Hey, Jack. Hey, Zach. How's your last year been? Last year has has been good. Ups and downs as always, but you know, can't can't complain for where I'm at right now. How about you? Oh, uh, yeah, it's been a good year. Uh, you know, started a podcast uh, one year ago today, and it's grown significantly. And we've got a whole bunch of really awesome followers who have written in some questions for us today. Yeah, that sounds that sounds nice. Yeah, good year. So, real quick, guys, thank you so much. You know, for being a, a Just Hands listener, we're rounding in to our one-year anniversary today. Going strong, and we really, really appreciate you guys tuning in to hear us every week. Uh, we couldn't do it without you. Yeah, no. In, in all seriousness, this has been uh, a really great, you know, kind of new part of my life and and Jack's life, and uh, you know, it wouldn't be possible without you guys. So, thank you. And to really thank you, uh, we're going to answer some of your questions. So this first one is from Danny in New York City. I really have loved playing live poker the last few times I've had the chance to, but I live in a city without casinos and no home games that I know about. I don't have a car either to drive out to a casino. I'm worried I won't be able to improve without playing live. Do you guys have any thoughts? Yeah, Danny, I could definitely relate to that. I'm not from New York City, but I'm from uh, New York State, uh, where I'm also was similarly far from casinos uh, at one point. Uh, there, there's a few things here. One, I know you said there's no home games you know about, but uh, this might not come as a surprise to you, but there are literally like hundreds of poker games that go on every single night in New York City. New Yorkers love poker, and there's a lot of not just home games, but also private games. For one, I wouldn't recommend starting off in the private games. That's actually how I started in terms of live poker, at least. Uh, but the rake is just so high that it's it's really hard to to make consistent money without just kind of a great lineup and the the variance is really really high. Yeah, I would say just kind of really ask around, see if you can get into a an unraked home game. But you know, it's definitely not necessarily guaranteed that even if you try to hustle that it'll happen. So you know, then we have online games. Fortunately, New York State's one of the you know more regulated states across a variety of industries and it is not legal to play online poker in New York. So you can't play on Bovada, you can't play on Legion. I'm sure you'd be able to figure something out with a VPN, but but you might not want to, you know, risk uh breaking the law in that sense. Uh so then yeah, what what to do if you can't really play online or live? Well, I was actually in a similar position to this over the summer. Again, this was after, you know, playing professionally for some years but this summer i didn't have access to live games for about two and a half months uh so i i filled kind of that void with just studying poker a lot more i did more range analyses i read some more poker books a lot of rereading of some kind of fundamentals like mental game of poker applications of no limit and uh you know listen to more other poker podcasts you know not just ours. I listened to a ton of other ones, read some more poker articles. There's still a lot of ways to be, you know, a poker consumer and a poker student without having access to live games. All this being said, though, I would say if you don't have a car, it makes it a, a lot less convenient to get to places like Atlantic City, Foxwoods, uh, parks. But, you know, lucky for you, there are buses. So uh, I would say if, if you have the time, uh, 
you know, take a bus out there every now and then because I think it's hard to sustain, you know, the motivation to to study and really improve your game if you're not playing at least on a somewhat regular basis, like once a month or something. Yeah, Jack, what 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 do you think? Yeah, you make a lot of great points. Uh, Danny, I hope you listen to this. I actually already wrote back Danny with uh, a couple of names of some home games that I played in in New York. And yeah, I should have mentioned, Danny, that the rate could be really high and very high variance. So, you know, you, you want to be careful with that kind of thing. But, although I, I still think the games are definitely beatable as long as they're not taking out more rake than they say they are. <laughs> what do you mean as, as long as they're not more like, you know, as long as they're not doing it too often, I think is the better. <laughs> yeah. I, so you, you have to watch that, but Aside from that, I, I agree with Zach. Uh, I think it's definitely, when you're not playing regularly, it's definitely possible to improve as a player just by being engaged, you know, going on forums and talking with people, reading books, listening to podcasts. You know, if, you're, if you want to be really serious about it, you can start, you know, you know, looking into software, you know, creating your own scenarios, running simulations, but what I would say is that you know while it's impo- while it's possible to improve by just staying engaged with poker, what's really hard to replicate is just like the speed, you know, of the sort of thought process you need when you do end up playing live. You know, and based on what you've said, you know, that you love playing, I'm sure you will end up, you know, taking the bus every once in a while or, you know, taking a trip to Vegas or something. And I think the hardest thing to practice is just making decisions quickly. So one thing you can do is just, you know, try and find hand histories and, and think about the decision you would have made in maybe a 10 second time frame, and then compare that decision with the decision that, you know, you ultimately made, you know, doing the sort of complete thought and study, you know, similar to what we, what we do on the podcast. And as you do that, keep track of how often you were right uh, in your initial decision. And I yeah. think that's a really good way to practice the speed of the game. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point, Jack. And, you know, I think this exercise is good for anyone. Like, you know, I think for, for both you and I, like, we're almost always very happy with the decision we come to after a 30, 40, 50 minute podcast. But, you know, uh, we'd be lying to all of our listeners if we said we were capable of making, you know, those high quality decisions within a 10 second time frame. We hope we're close, but, you know, it's, it's hard to replicate what uh, what you can do off the table. Okay, thank you, Danny. So, so our next question is from Nick from Colorado, and he writes, uh, "I'm a college student and really love poker, but don't uh, have enough money for a proper bankroll. Should I not play poker until then?" I definitely don't think you shouldn't play poker until then, uh, but I, I think it's really smart not to play in games above your bankroll. So I think if, if you have access to online poker, I don't know. I don't think online poker is legal in Colorado, is it? Well, online poker is, is technically legal, I think, in almost every state. It's just like the bank account thing that isn't legal. Some of right. our listeners will know this better than me, but I, I th- I'm pretty sure New York is one of the few states that doesn't have it. Okay. Although I will say I have played... Shh, shh. <laughs> I may have played some online poker while I was in New York. And I may have played significantly one before I was 21, but, you know. Yeah. Anyways, well, 
you know, without getting into too much, you know, legal advice here or there, you you should have access to online games of some form. And that's a really great way to play and practice for very, very little money. You know, I think at the most, you would probably have to play five cent, ten cent. In some sites, you know, we'll have one cent, two cent, two cent, five cent. I think PokerStars is getting rid of their one cent, two cent games or something like that. But, you know, the point is, you know, as long as you have, you know, a hundred dollar bankroll or, you know, fifty dollars that you don't care if you lose. Playing these games is, you know, really helpful. It's good practice. I think the skill level might even be higher than in a 1-3 game. Uh, or at least you'll have some players who are probably better. And otherwise, it's somewhat comparable. And like I was saying, you know, to the other question, in terms of, you know, increasing the speed of your decision-making, online does that better than anything. Because uh, you so, you're forced to make that decision within that framework. Uh, and timing tells, you know, often come up after maybe three or four seconds rather than, you know, 10 or 15 seconds in the live game. Yeah. So, yeah, I think online is a really good solution for anyone with this problem. You know, I also think anyone who, like, doesn't have very much time, online is a great solution uh, because it's just a lot easier to hop on your computer for an hour than to get to a casino. Playing live poker is definitely a big time commitment uh, because you want... I mean, I think there's something to be said for playing short sessions. But for most people, it's not worth it to go and only play for an hour or two. So I think online online poker is really a solution for a lot of things for a lot of people. And I think in this case, Nick, uh, it's going to be a solution for you. But Zach, do you have any other ideas for Nick? No, I mean, I think I think it's really important you've kind of touched on this like online versus live thing because, you know, obviously all of our hands on our podcast are from live poker and we've made it clear that I mean you play, you know, basically just live poker right now and you know greatly prefer it, but I think we'd be doing a disservice to our listeners to say that, you know, for a lot of them maybe without as much flexibility as us playing more online would make sense. Yeah, and for a large part of my life before I was able to play live, I was an online player exclusively. Uh yeah, no, li- likewise and you know, I, I wouldn't want to go back to that. That now I do greatly prefer live poker and think I have, you know, a much much bigger edge there. But definitely, like if if there was online legal online poker in Jordan, uh, when I was there this summer, I would have totally played it just for, you know, the practice. I think it there really is something to just seeing lots of hands and making good good decisions. You know, kind of having that effect compound. Yeah, and it's also just. You know, the fact that you can save your hand history so easily, you know, whether through the use of a HUD or, you know, some of the sites themselves keep track of it for you, that is really, really useful for reviewing your play. Yeah. Uh, Reviewing spots maybe you didn't think were spots. One other thing I'll add, Nick, as you're a college student, definitely try and get a home game going. I know it can be tough to find players to put up that much money, although given your bankroll concerns, that might not be an issue. And it can get it can be hard to find players who will take the game seriously. Uh, but you might be able to convert a couple of people into taking the game seriously, and those that don't, you know, will just give away the little money that they're willing to put at the table. Uh, but definitely that's a, a fun way to make friends and to start building your network of poker players that you can discuss things with. 
Yeah, when I when I was in college and taught the Oberlin, uh, I taught a class at Oberlin College, like kind of introduction to to no limit hold'em. Uh, I I started these kind of two five cent games, you know, five to ten dollar buy in, you know, for the class to practice. And you know, I recommend it online to some, and a few followed that. But I think a lot of people one got a lot of value out of these games in terms of improving and putting the skills I was teaching into action. But more importantly, they just had a lot of fun. So, yeah, I think if you could organize those those kind of small micro-home games, that would be a good way to go. Good call, Jack. Yeah, it's also a way to play play deep, which is fun. Okay. All right. So the third question we're going to talk about today is from Joe in Chicago. Uh, and I like this question a lot. Uh, he says, what do you guys think of wearing sunglasses while playing? <laughs> I want to wear sunglasses to try and hide my tells, but I'm worried I'll expose myself as a thinking player. I'm in my 40s, so I think I can definitely pass as a bad rec player without the sunglasses. Okay, so a lot a lot here. <laughs> First, Joe, don't worry. You won't expose yourself as a thinking player. <laughs> um yeah, I it's it's this is an interesting question. If you take the all the poker players in the world that play without sunglasses and all of those that do, like which which group do you think is better on the aggregate? <laughs> well, I think it's it's a polarizing question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think uh if you're wearing sunglasses, you at least want to be good. So that that puts you a step above people who are just kind of there to gamble. But but yeah, I think <laughs> When you're talking about is someone elite, if they're wearing sunglasses, the likelihood goes down significantly. Uh, Especially outside of a tournament setting, you know. Yeah. But, you know, I I actually do think, you know, while I I think we both kind of laugh at the idea of, like, you know, thinking players wearing sunglasses, I do think wearing sunglasses at the table, people will play a little bit differently against you because it sort of shows that you you know, don't want people to see your eyes, which is a pretty reasonable thing. I mean, I've, I've personally thought about wearing sunglasses and I, I don't want to because I don't like the connotation that comes with it, but I definitely think it's advantageous. I mean, I don't want people, if I, if I could just play with like a ski mask and sunglasses, which I probably can, you know, I would have no problem with that. I I, could, I think it could only really be, you know, to my advantage if people couldn't see my face or see my eyes. But I also think there's definitely something to, especially for you being in your 40s, and you know, I think people will make a lot of exploitative mistakes against you. Generally, once you put on the sunglasses, I think people are going to adjust to you, and they might adjust correctly in more ways than they adjust incorrectly. So I, I definitely understand you know, the worry about wearing sunglasses. Yeah, I I think there's definitely less value wearing sunglasses when you're kind of in your 40s and can pass as a bad rec player. Uh, you know, while Jack and I have played and taught very good poker players, uh, kind of in that, you know, demographic, uh, we also make uh, a lot of assumptions on how you will play based on how you look, which will obviously change and adjust after we play with you. But, you know, that first kind of 
10, 20, 30 minutes, even, even more, um, is valuable. And I think even kind of worse players will probably make some not, not great adjustments when they, they see, uh, you know, guy, guy in their forties doesn't look like a reg. So. Yeah. I mean, think about what sunglasses are saying. Like it's, you're basically saying like, I'm at least somewhat balanced. Uh, that might not be true in the sense that you might be very unbalanced, but it's true, I think, at least or it should be in the sense that I might be bluffing. And that's sort of a factor that's not true for a lot of players. Some players are definitely not bluffing. Yeah. And when you wear sunglasses, you're saying, like, I, I, there's something I don't want you to know. And in the game of poker, that's generally, I don't want you to know whether or not I'm bluffing. So just that sort of Something that simple, I think, is actually pretty powerful in terms of how people will play against you. So I think your fears are justified. I would say as long as you can you know, control where you're placing your eyes and don't feel like you're giving off a lot of tells, then I would, I would keep the sunglasses away. But if you're worried about it, or if you just feel more comfortable and you feel like you play better wearing sunglasses then, you know, go for it. There's no reason not to. Yeah, I would say... I mean, there is a reason not to, but, you know, I would say not a great reason. Even if it doesn't make sense for you to do it in the end, you should definitely try it if you're thinking about it. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. If Maybe you, we if should try it. it. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, don't think, I, don't, I don't think I've ever done it, yeah. No. So for this next question, um, we get something that's fairly common, whether to us as teachers or something kind of... I think a lot of you... I've probably just heard at the poker table a lot. You know, how should I play Ace King? So this listener who uh, asked us not to share his name said that I know I'm supposed to raise this hand pre-flop, but whenever I miss, I don't know what to do. I feel like I've been missing more than I hit lately, and I've been on a big downswing. For a little background, I play regularly at home games and every once in a while at Foxwoods. Maybe this guy could get Danny invited to some some home games. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Just Hands Connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, uh, you know, this might seem like a bad question, but this is a great question. Uh, because, you know, Ace King is a hand that you are supposed to raise, as our listener points out, and you've got to know how to play it. What I would say is that it's not a very easy question to answer because it really just totally depends on the board. Uh, on your opponents, on the stack sizes, on the position. And so all the sort of, you know, the infinite situations you could find yourself in holding ace-king, we're not going to be able to address uh, either in this podcast or really even in this lifetime. So the first thing I'll say before getting into some specifics about ace-king is that I think, you know, while it's, it's really good to have some heuristics or just when I say heuristics, I mean like sort of little default nuggets of knowledge that influence your decision making to help guide you on the right path most of the time. So it's good to have some heuristics, which we'll get into in a second. But I think what's really important, what you really want to start doing is thinking about your own range and thinking about your opponent's range. So how should I play ace-king? Well, if I check ace-king... You know, let's say I was the preflop raiser and I'm out of position in a heads-up pot, which is, I think, a common situation. You know, if I check, what's my opponent going to do with 
with their range? If I bet, what's my opponent going to do with their range? If I bet small, what are they going to do? If I bet big, what are they going to do? And then also, you know, what does my range look like on this flop? You know, do I have a ton of good hands? Is ace-king one of my, you know, better hands? So there's, there's a lot that you need to think about in terms of how you want to play your own range so you can't be exploited by good players and also way how your opponent's going to react so you know what the most profitable decision is. And that takes a lot of practice. Uh, you know, that's something that coaching can help with. That's something that, you know, participating on forums with various uh, situations can help can help with. But I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit. Uh, unless, Zach, there's anything you want to add first. Yeah, I think obviously there's like no, you know, it depends on so many things, stack sizes, position, how many players in the pot, you know, what the flop is exactly when you miss. But I think an, an important thing here is that a lot of people that don't know how to play ace-king tend to over-bluff with it, where there are many cases where ace-king is actually a really good kind of checking back or bluff-catching hand. So that's kind of the one... Maybe the most generalized point about Ace-King that I think holds true. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I agree that often Ace-King will sort of, when you miss, fall in your bluff catch the flop, probably fold the turn unimproved range. Uh, And that's not necessarily, that doesn't sound great, you know. It doesn't sound that fun to call a flop to then fold the turn to a bet. But you have to have some hands that do that. And I think Ace-King is a good choice because it beats most bluffs. Uh, not all bluffs are going to continue, so you're going to be just good at showdown sometimes. Uh, and you also can improve to the best hand pretty easily holding a hand like Ace-King when you miss. Because that means that you know, whenever you hit an Ace or a King, you're going to have top pair. Uh, and so let's imagine you call that flop bet. You still miss the turn, but it maybe it checks to you. You can check back in position you know, with a nice bluff catcher that has a chance to improve to the best hand and can be value bet. So, so yeah, definitely I think you should be checking as king sometimes since it plays well as a bluff catcher. But so let's go back to that, you know, you're out of position, you know, you were the preflop raiser, you're deciding whether to see bet or not after missing the flop with ace king. There's some things you can ask yourself to decide like should I be bluffing here? You know, is your opponent very tight and likely to fold lots of pocket pairs, you know, that are worse than, let's say, like the middle card and also, you know, fold some middle pair and some bottom pair. You know, if you can get your opponent to fold a lot of pairs on the flop, then I think bluffing with a hand like ace-king and bluffing with all of your missed hands is going to be really profitable. But I think most players today like to call, and a lot of them also feel like they should be calling, you know, with their middle middle pair type hands. Uh, and even some of their bottom pair hands. So I think you're less like you have less fold equity, you know, against the the range that you're bluffing. So against those players who are likely to call you with those hands, I just prefer playing it generally as a bluff catcher. And what you have to realize is that even though Ace King is a really strong hand pre-flop, when you miss the flop, it's just no longer one of your strongest hands, and that's just the reality. You still have all your pocket pairs. You should have decent board coverage. You know, when you're building your preflop range, so you're going to have top pair hands. So you don't need to worry about the fact that Ace King is no longer one of your strongest hands. It's okay to just fold it against some players. You know, that's totally totally fine. Yeah, I think that that wraps that question up. 
And I'll just I'll also just point out that like we've gotten this question several times. So a lot of people I think are are struggling with it. And I think mostly it's just people are disappointed when they miss the flop with Ace King. And I understand that because it's an exciting hand and it's a good hand. Uh, but you're going to miss the flop a lot and it's okay when you do, but don't, you know, just blast off in the players who are going to call you down lion. Uh, that's the, definitely the big no, no. Yeah. It's the, it's the same, same thing. Almost like you get a really good starting hand preflop. Maybe you're playing live and haven't gotten a good hand in hours you have pocket aces and it's a seven eight nine with three spades board and you don't have a spade you know you had your best hand pre-flop but you just don't have a good hand now if it's like a four-way pot you know you just really don't have that good of a hand yeah i don't know if missing the flop with ace king is quite as bad as you know that flop uh holding aces no of course i'm just kind of speaking to like the the common feeling of you know I have one of my best hands pre-flop, therefore I'm entitled to like, you know, win a lot post-flop. Yeah, no, definitely. All right, so our last question. Uh, this was the only listener to you know give us a proper greeting. Hey, Jack. Hey, Zach. Yeah, we like that type of greeting. Uh, Chase writing in from Nebraska. Hello, Chase. I really like your guys' podcasts, but when I've checked out the podcast breakdowns, I've been lost. Can you explain what's going on there? Yeah, so I guess I'll give a crack at this. So, you know, the podcast breakdown kind of came out of uh, the type of, you know, work that Jack and I have done off the table to really improve. Kind of like we're just really in-depth range analyses where we, you know, break down every decision, every assumption to the best of our ability. Uh, and at by this point, we noticed that you know, some of our students who also listen to the podcast, you know, thought like, hey, you're assigning me doing these really in-depth range analyses. Maybe, you know, you should you should do some of this level of detail for some of your podcast episodes. And, you know, we kind of agreed and thought that it'd be a good idea to, you know, make sure every podcast had not just kind of an um, in-depth level of analysis while we're speaking, but to, you know, use some poker software and, you know, within within a set of assumptions kind of come to, you know, as close to a right of an answer as, as we could. So, Chase, you should just think of the the podcast breakdown as kind of a natural extension of our podcast where, you know, even though maybe each podcast episode is at least 20 minutes long and we have a lot of time, that's still no substitute for, you know, kind of thinking not on the fly, not, you know, with the pressure of another person or another person and a guest asking what what you think in the moment and maybe realizing that some of the stuff we said on the podcast wasn't wasn't the most accurate or you know we disagree with some decisions for a given reason or we just kind of estimated someone's range incorrectly like doing these types of you know pod, breakdowns of hands uh off the felt um we do it so we we become better at estimating these ranges and making good decisions while we're playing. So yeah, we obviously recommend to people to kind of do their own, you know, podcast breakdowns for hands of poker that they play. But we know that, you know, not everyone right now at least has has the skills um, to, to do those types of breakdowns or maybe they do, but they don't necessarily have the time to do it regularly. So these are a way to, you know, I'll bet in a more passive way, 
you know, work on your poker game and think about, you know, what, everything that could potentially go into a, a given decision. Yeah, definitely. And I'll just add about the podcast breakdown. Like, Zach and I almost never both know the hand, you know, as we are doing the podcast recording. You know, so when we have a listener, uh, we normally get the hand, you know, live. And when we're doing either a listener hand or one of our own hands, uh, normally one of us will take a look at the hand beforehand to make sure it's a good hand for the podcast. And then the other one will be going in blind, you know, or when it's one of our hands, the other one will go in blind. And we found that to be the best way. You know, we think that creates the best podcast, but what we definitely, you know, don't always feel like we've found the right answer. Uh, and uh, particularly because I think a lot of the spots that we like to talk about are pretty close. Uh, or at least we think they're pretty close. And so the podcast we found has kind of given us an opportunity to at least come to a more concrete answer than what we were able to get on the podcast. So thank you guys so much for writing in. We really, really love engaging with our podcast listeners. We like answering questions. We like seeing your hands. Uh, we wish we could get back to everyone, and we wish we could discuss all the hands on the podcast uh, but, you know, we haven't been able to, and we, you know, we wanted to create a solution, you know, for our listeners who want, you know, more engagement with us, uh, and more engagement with each other. And we've decided to launch a Just Hands membership program. Uh, Zach, do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, the details of that membership program? Yeah. So this is something we've been thinking about for a while, you know, because we've, gotten people that have contacted us for lessons and then for a variety of reasons you know time commitment money it hasn't made sense for them so we've been thinking you know how do we how do we provide you know more value to kind of our you know more loyal followers and but without necessarily breaking the bank with you know private coaching and this is kind of our answer to that so yeah so we're going to have three membership tiers uh our entry level tier is the tag membership uh, and that gets you access to the Just Hands Slack group. Uh, for those of you guys who have never used Slack, Slack is a totally awesome tool. Uh, it, it's basically a private forum where you can have a bunch of different sort of conversation threads. Uh, members can start threads. Uh, we've got a bunch of threads going right now just between Zach, uh, Peter, John, and myself. And it's just a great place, you know, to you know, have a discussion. So we want, you know, we're, we're posting our own hand histories there, our own strategy questions, uh, and a bunch of other topics that we think are really important. And so all of our tag members are going to have access to these forums, uh, you know, both to see what's going on and also, you know, to create their own threads, uh, post their own questions. And it's a really, really great way to engage with us. Uh, it provides a nice format. For that, you know, for all of us to weigh in. And it's also a great way to sort of, you know, build your network, have a place to go with these questions, uh, you know, a place that, you know, you can sort of trust the advice you're getting because, you know, you have Zach and myself going through and weighing in. And I, I think it's just going to be a really awesome community. I'm personally really excited to expand my personal you know, a network of people to discuss poker with. Uh, and so, 
yeah, we're really excited about the tag membership. So if you kind of want to move on uh, from the tag and, and join, join the lags, we also have a lag membership. So in our lag membership, you get obviously the full tag membership, the full you know access to the forums, plus uh, an archive of all of our premium podcasts. So we've done a series where I look at, you know, multiple time podcast guests, Brent Jenkins hands at, a, you know, the Maryland Live 2-5 games. And then actually quite recently, Jack finished um, editing some premium podcasts that we recorded with Greg Raymer when he was here in Ohio for the event. But, you know, now that we have this membership site, uh, we're committed to doing at least one monthly premium podcast. So not only do you get access to the the earlier recordings that we've done, but you'll get a, a monthly monthly podcast just for you. Uh, and on top of this, we'll have bi-monthly Google Hangouts. So twice a month, you know, once on the weekend, uh, once during the week, there'll be, you know, face-to-face group video conferencing with the Just Hands team and feel free to ask us anything strategy-related or not. Yeah, our, our final membership is the GTO membership. Uh, which you know gets you everything in the lag membership, uh, as well as a 30-minute lesson with myself or Zach, you know, once a month, and so that's a great you know way to sort of start your poker coaching. You know, for those of you who've never done coaching, uh, you know, but want to try it, you know, that's sort of the perfect way to get access to a, a ton of Just Hands content. Uh, you get the bi-monthly hangouts, access to the forums, and you also, you know, sort of get this 30-minute lesson, which is, you know, really a lot of time. You know, you can make a lot of progress in 30 minutes. So, yeah, that's, you know, that's what we have to offer. You know, we're really excited to start getting to know you all better and, you know, seeing people participate in the forums. For the next month, we're offering our tag membership, you know, free for two months. So if you go to our website, justhandspoker.com, uh, there's a membership page, you know, justhandspoker.com slash membership, and you'll see a lot more information there. And if you sign up for the tag membership, you can get two months free using a coupon code justhands1yr. So justhands1year, but year is just yr. Uh, and that's, that's also on the website. So yeah, justhandspoker.com slash membership. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we hope you guys will consider becoming Just Hands members, uh, and we hope to see you guys on the forum soon. All right, thanks.